So, uh, first of all, it's really nice to see everybody, and thanks for coming out on, uh, on, a, on a Thursday evening when uh, I'm sure there's a lot of exciting things, uh, alternative activities to, uh, to do. Um, it's always really, really nice to see everyone and feels a home feeling, even though my home is now in Israel, which is really your home too. Um, it's, uh, it, there's, there's always a special feeling to be with all of you and uh, feels very comfortable and very right to be together again. So uh, it's just uh, hopefully Bezat Hashem will have many, many more opportunities to learn together and to celebrate together happy occasions. Um, obviously, we're just a few days away from Rosh Hashanah, so it's uh, the topic of speaking about Rosh Hashanah was a given, that it should be something related to the uh, subject of the holiday. And specifically, what, what I'd like to talk about is the shofar and the significance of the shofar in terms of teshuvah, in terms of repentance and self-improvement. What, is the, what does the shofar accomplish for us or what message does it send us? How does it enable us or help us to uh, move in the direction of self-improvement? Because this is a time of year... It's very difficult to, uh, to say to yourself, I'm going to change in some way. I'm, I'm going I'm to transform myself. I'm, I'm really going to, uh, to shift gears and like alter my direction in life. It's very difficult to do that. And I find that it's one of the great blessings being a Jew and having the month of Elul and having Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We have an excuse for doing that. Because a lot of times like a person will see... And in a friend, let's say, or a family member implementing some change in their life, and they'll be like, well, why are you doing that? You know, oh, all of a sudden you became religious, all of a sudden you, uh, you know, a light bulb went on and you decided to do this, you decided to do that. What? Yesterday we were doing, you, you, you were totally different, today you've decided to change. And so one of the things that holds us back a lot of times from any kind of change is social pressure. It's that, you know, if you decide to change something about yourself, but you're going to walk into the same classroom the next day, or you're going to walk into the same workplace the next day, or you're going to walk into the same family gathering the next day, and they're going to have certain expectations of you, and they, they view you a certain way, and, and, and they, they, they assume certain things about you, uh, about what you like, or about what you do, or the way you respond, or hey, let's gossip like we always do, or whatever it is. And if you try to change yourself in some way, all of a sudden you feel like you're you're coming up against their expectations. There's somewhat of a pressure to, to stay the way you've always been. But since we have this amazing gift of the month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah, everyone together is working on trying to begin the year on the right foot and in some way to improve ourselves. So if we say to a fellow Jew, I'm doing this because, oh, it's Elul, it's Rosh Hashanah, I really want to do more mitzvot and I really want to do more chesed, I really want to improve myself, I want to try to stay away from Lashon Hara, I want to try to go to an extra Torah class that I normally wouldn't do, I want to come earlier to sin, whatever it is. Whatever it is that we want to do, a person says, oh, because it's Elul, because it's Rosh Hashanah, because it's Yom Kippur, you have a New Year's resolution. Okay, that we can understand. So because we're engaging in this process of self-improvement together, everyone's doing it, so it's more natural. It doesn't feel like you're working against the crowd. You're going with the crowd. You're going with the flow in trying to find ways to make this year better. What? It's peer pressure in a positive way. It's a momentum, I like to call it. It's a momentum of being together in this project of trying to start the year better than the previous year was, right? That's, that's the, and that's, what, that's the beauty of Elul. That's what I think is so special about Elul. In fact, the Rambam, when he describes Teshuvah, he describes repentance, he says that really the power of Teshuvah is in the community. If the community were to get together at any time and decide we're going to transform ourselves, we're going to make significant revolutionary changes in the way that we live our lives and the values by which we live, in the direction we're going, that could have the same impact as Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But what's the chance that an entire Jewish community is going to do that any other time, at any other random, uh, uh, on any other random date of the year? Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Torah legislates for us that this is the time you're going to designate, you're going to devote to this process. And since we're all doing it, we're all doing it together, it feels right. It doesn't feel unnatural. So that's part of the beauty of this time of year. But what does the shofar do in terms of trying to enhance or enrich or facilitate the process? And I just want to put out there a question about shofar that started bothering me a couple of years ago. And 
Um, uh, this question is a question that really, I think it, it should be such an obvious question, such a basic question. It's a question that just screams out at us, and yet it's a question that, uh, um, that a lot of times, like many things, we kind of overlook because we just, well, we approach things habitually and we go through them year after year and we don't necessarily ask the questions that are screaming out to be asked. Very simple question. If I were to ask you, and you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if I were to ask you, what is the meaning of the shofar? Why do we blow the shofar? Does anybody know what the most common conventional answer to that question is? Why do we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? What's the reason why we blow the shofar at this time of year? To wake us up for what? To shuvah, right? Because everyone's sleeping, right? This is a very famous, where does this come from? Does anybody happen to know? It comes from the Rambam. The Rambam is the one who says it. The Rambam says that everyone is asleep they're, they're involved in the superficialities of their age, meaning whatever's popular, whatever's going on in the world at that moment is really is what they're caught up in, whatever the fads are, whatever is catching everybody's attention, the superficialities of, their, of the culture, of, of what everyone's doing. And the shofar says, wake up, improve yourself, reflect on the direction you're going. I'll take the Rambam, I see it sitting right here, just asking me to come get it. I'm going to come get it. <laughs> So we'll read what the Rambam actually says about the shofar. But then I'm going to ask you a question. I want to see if anybody can help me answer this question because it's a very difficult question. Um, the Rambam mentions what is the reason for, uh, for, tishu, for t- uh, the shofar. He says, it's a wake-up call. Like you said, it's a remez. It's a hint to wake up. Wake up slumberers from your sleep. The chapsu And analyze your deeds. The chizru Return in, in repentance. Uh, the word repentance sounds very old-fashioned. We've got to come up with a better uh, term for that. Um, remember your creator. Those who are forgetting the truth because of the futilities, the vanities, the insignificant things, the superficial things of the time. And they're involved. They're involved in things that really don't benefit them and don't improve them. Look into your souls. Improve your ways and your deeds. Change your bad ways and your thoughts that are not good. Your maladaptive thoughts. Because when you're improving yourself, you don't only have to change your behavior. You have to change the way that you think. The way that you look at things. The way that you approach things. Right? Your perspective has to change. But the Rambam is saying here that the idea of the shofar is a wake-up call. And we're going to come back to this Rambam and try to understand it a little bit better. But I just want to first float out to you a question. A question that... Um, when we open the machzor, let's, this is the Rambam. Everybody knows this, so to speak. You know, everyone's heard this. Yeah, teshuvah, it's a, it's a wake-up call. It certainly does wake you up. If anybody blew the shofar and you were sleeping, it would, you'd be awake. There's no question about that. Okay, it would be hard to sleep through it. Now, what it, physically and, and spiritually, of course, it's supposed to have the same impact as realizing there's something urgent. My life is slipping through my fingers. I, I need to do something with my, you know, every minute, every day, every, uh, you know, every week, every month, it counts. I only have one life to live. What am I doing with it? And am I spending it the right way? Am I wasting it on, fri- on, on frivolities and silliness and emptiness? You know, it, it's a good question. It's something we have to think about and, and, and uh, recalibrate our perspective for sure. But... I have a question. When we open the Machzor on Rosh Hashanah, there's something very interesting. We blow the Shofar, obviously, on Rosh Hashanah. We blow it before the Musaf and then during the Musaf. Right? We blow it before the Musaf, 30 blasts of the Shofar. Okay? And then we blow during the Musaf another, uh, well, we do it during the silent uh, Musaf and then during the repetition for another um, 30 and 30. Okay? Now, during the Musaf, there are three blessings. And at the end of each one of the blessings, we blow the Shofar. Right? If, if everyone's been in Kanisa for Rosh Hashanah, you know the Chazan says the blessing, and then everyone has to listen carefully for the shofar to be blown, and then we say Hayom Harat Olam. The three blessings that are associated with the shofar are called Malchiot, Zichronot, Veshofarot. Malchiot means kingship of God, the kingship of God. When we blow the shofar, the Machzor says, when we blow the shofar, we are coronating 
God as our king. We're saying God is the king of the universe. We're declaring God as the king. The shofar was one of the ways that they, they used to blow shofar. If you read the Tanakh, you read the Jewish Bible, you read ancient history, one of the things that they used to do to coronate a king was now they use trumpets more than uh, shofarot, but back then they would use both to signify that this individual is a sovereign, is a monarch, is, a, you know, is somebody who, who is uh, being given the power to rule, right? So when we blow the shofar, we are coronating God as our king. That's malchiot. Second thing, zichronot. Zichronot is the second bacham. We blow the shofar on zichronot. What does zichronot mean? That God remembers everything. He knows everything that we've done. Meaning the reality of who we are, even better than you know yourself, Hashem knows you. There are things we don't understand about ourselves, but Hashem knows. You can't fake out Hashem. Impossible. Right? You could fake another person out sometimes for a while. Pretend that you're somebody that you're not. Right? You can even fake out yourself. You can fool yourself and believe that you're somebody that you're not. You can be in denial with yourself. But Hashem knows the truth of who you are. 100% the truth. And zichronot, the remembrance, we blow the shofar and we say that Hashem should remember not just uh, obviously our zechuyot, uh, our own zechuyot, our own merits, but we say the merits of, of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, specifically of the avot, of the patriarchs, that Hashem should remember, and we blow the shofar. And of course, one of the things that the shofar represents is also the akedah, the, the binding of Isaac, and therefore the merit of our forefathers who were totally dedicated, totally devoted to serving God, and that we aspire to reach their level, so we invoke their, uh, their example in Rosh Hashanah, through the shofar. So we have two ideas so far. The first one is we're coronating God as the king. The second one is that God knows all. Hashem knows all about the entire universe and about every individual, what you have done, and he knows the future, and he has a plan, and he knows our past and our roots and our patriarchs. Everything is an open book before God. Okay, that's part of what Zichronot is also uh, part of what the shofar is signifying is that we want to bring forth the goodness, so to speak, to the attention of Hashem. Not that Hashem forgets anything or needs for it to be brought to his attention, but meaning we're really bringing it to the forefront of our attention in our relationship with God when we do that. The third thing that we blow the shofar for is, the third bracha is actually called shofarot. What does the third bracha shofarot actually talk about? It talks about two events. It talks about the event of the giving of the Torah where the shofar was blown at Mount Sinai. And it talks about that Hashem, you should blow the shofar that is going to herald the coming of the Mashiach and the ultimate redemption. These two major events are associated with the shofar. The giving of the Torah was accompanied by the shofar. And whenever the prophets speak about the coming of Mashiach and the ingathering of the exiles and all of the redemption of the ultimate redemption, there's always a shofar in there. And then we say, Hashem, listen to the blowing of our shofar today. And the blessing is, That's the blessing. The blessing is, Hashem, here's the blowing of the shofar today, which is our kind of like, prayer to God that the redemption should come true. That just like we heard a shofar at Mount Sinai and that was the completion of the Jewish people that they received the Torah and became the nation of God. And we want to hear the shofar again, the coming of the Mashiach, and we blow the shofar, so to speak, as, like, uh, uh, as if we're yearning for that to be the shofar that's the ultimate redemption. Okay? What's missing from all of these beautiful ideas? So, so far we have an idea of God's kingship. We have the idea of God knowing all and remembering all. And we have the idea of redemption or the giving of the Torah that's associated with the shofar. What's missing from all of these lovely ideas? What? Yeah, what happened to the tshuva idea of the Rambam? The Rambam never opened up the machzor and looked to see what the shofar is actually about. He just made up a different reason. According to the, according to the prayers, the shofar has lots of meanings. It has a meaning of kingship of God. It has a meaning of God remembering and knowing and directing history and the future and destiny. It has the meaning of God revealing himself both in the giving of the Torah and also in the ultimate redemption where God's kingship will become manifest to everyone. All that we see in the shofar according to the book, right? According to the actual machzor, to what it says. And we blow the shofar on each one of these blessings because each one of them is a so it brings out one of the themes of the shofar. 
And therefore, one of the themes of the shofar, it's like, it's almost like you're explaining the meaning of what the shofar blast, you know, is supposed to signify, and then you blow it, right? You're, the blessings verbalize the themes of the shofar, and then the shofar gives it to you in a visceral way that you feel it, that you experience it. It's a powerful thing, the shofar. It does something that words can't do, right? Music or sound, sensory experience is something that words cannot capture. Your words can set the stage for it, but the sound has a power that goes beyond the words, the abstract ideas of the words. But the ideas are embedded in or represented by the shofar, but there's something very important missing that this, this idea that the shofar is about repentance, waking you up from sleep and all that, why is that not in the machzor? Why? Or another way of saying it is the Rambam who managed to convince everybody that the shofar is about self-improvement and waking you up from your slumber and all that. Why didn't he just open up the machzor? He actually has his own version of the machzor which includes all these same brachot that we have. It's written in the same book. Why didn't he just look in there and say, oh, I'm looking for the reason of the shofar? Well, it's right here. It's about the kingship of Hashem. It's about Hashem remembering. It's about redemption. It's about revelation. It's about all of these ideas. Where did he get this idea of the teshuvah from? He, he, he pulled it out of a... And somehow he convinced everyone. Everyone believes that's the reason for the shofar. You take a random Jewish... You know, someone who knows something. Not a, maybe not a random Jewish person. They, they might not know anything about what a shofar is. But, you know, but a, a person with a reasonably educated uh, Jewish person will know that the purpose of the shofar is to wake you up, for, you know, to, to repent and to improve yourself. Where do these th- two things intersect? Do they? Do they not? It's very problematic. Yes, you have an answer. Okay. Meaning? Okay. Did everyone hear that? No. no. I didn't Should I restate what Mina said? <laughs> Saying may, maybe the idea is that Teshuvah whatever repentance would come from hearing the shofar will lead to these bigger ideas of you know Hashem's kingship and and, and sort of like the Rambam is working on the basement level and the Bachot are on the higher level, right? That's like the idea of God's kingship and everything, but first we have to wake people up before they can get to that, right? That's, that's an interesting perspective. I want to suggest to you something similar to that, but almost flipping that around, okay? Almost flipping it around, which is in order to improve yourself, you have to have a framework. You have to have a sense of in terms of what am I improving myself? Right? If you don't have a goal, can you measure your progress? Progress towards what? How am I measuring? How am I evaluating? Right? The worst thing is to have an employee that you have no idea whether they're a good employee or not because you don't really know what their job is supposed to be. So you can't really measure whether they're doing it well or not. The first thing you want to know if you get a job is what's expected of me, what am I supposed to accomplish? How do I know if I'm doing my job or not? How do I know if I have to improve? What the boss is going to come tell you, you did this and this wrong. I didn't even know that was my job. How was I supposed to know to do that? So this, the beginning, I would say, they are connected. You're right. The beginning is you need a framework. Who am I? What, what is my purpose? What is the big picture that I'm supposed to be measuring myself up to? Because normally, what am I measuring myself up to? what other people think of me maybe or what other people are doing and I take for granted whatever they're pursuing oh if they're pursuing fame and they're doing better than me then I'm not really measuring up I got to do better I got to I have to work harder if they're pursuing wealth and I'm not as rich oh that means I'd better work harder I'm not working as hard I'm sleeping too much I'm too lazy I'm not disciplined whatever it is what is your frame of reference in measuring whether you're accomplishing, achieving success, whether you're really actualizing your potential. What it, how do you measure that? How do you know? And really what, the, what the, the, re, the truth is when a person, in other words, the tshuva and, the, and recognizing God's kingship, it really comes at the same point, at the same moment. Why? Because when a person recognizes that Hashem is the ultimate reality, No matter what you have in this world, the only thing that's eternal is whatever connection you have to God. That's it. And no matter what your plans are and your schemes are, the ultimate 
decisor of what's going to take place in the world is only HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's only Hashem. And you realize that everything, whether it's the, be- the beginning, the middle, and the end of Jewish history, it's all about revealing, establishing God's kingship on earth. Whether it's the giving of the Torah or the coming of the Mashiach, that's all there is. So you have a choice. You can get on the train that's going in that direction or you can stay off the train. Okay? You could be in the back car or you could be in the front car of the train too. There are different levels. But that's what you're measuring yourself in terms of. Meaning when we blow the shofar, yes, we're declaring Hashem's kingship. Yes, we're recognizing that Hashem knows all and plans all and directs all and understands all. We're recognizing that ultimately Hashem, the revelation of Hashem's presence in the world is the purpose for all of our existence. But once you acknowledge that, you ask yourself, okay, so where do I stand in terms of that? How am I doing now? Right? How, how am I doing? If that's the reality, if those are the truths that I profess to believe and that I acknowledge about the world, that this is the reality, so then where am I, how am I doing? If that's really what the goal is, if that's really what the purpose is of my life, if that's really the ultimate value. The Rambam says another beautiful thing. He says, whenever you see a mezuzah, why is a mezuzah on a door? He says, whenever you see a mezuzah, you should remember that there's nothing in the world that's permanent and absolute and eternal. There's nothing that you have that's eternal except the relationship you have with Hashem. That's it. Everything else is temporary. It might seem like it's lo- going to be there for a long time. That's probably why it's on a house. What's the thing you have that seems like it's going to be here for the longest time? Uh, a building, right? A building could be here, could outlive many generations. So it seems like it has a permanence to it, Right? But the Rambam says, even that is not really permanent. Nothing is absolute except Hashem. And so to the extent that you are related to, connected to Hashem, that you have a relationship with Him, that you have a closeness to Him, you have something real. You have something of ultimate value, of incorruptible value. And to the extent that you're distant from Him and you attach yourself to other things, you're, you, you are you're attached to things that are, only, that are only illusions, basically, that don't have a permanent connection to you, that don't offer you anything of eternal value and meaning. And so when we blow the shofar, the Rambam is right and the Machzor is right. They're both right. You're declaring certain truths. But then once you declare those truths, you have to look at yourself and say, okay, if that's really what's important in life, so where do I stand? How am I doing? And that's really what I think the Rambam is saying when he says, that the people who forget the truth because they're so caught up with the havleazman, with the fads and the, and the passing trends and whatever is interesting, the average person on the street in this world, they get so caught up with that that they forget the ultimate truth. But when you think about that truth, it's hard not to ask yourself, wait a second, that's really true. If that's really what life, life is about. If I really recognize that my life is, is, a, is a limited, finite period of time and it's only going to be measured in its ultimate significance by the relationship that I have to the ultimate values, so then where am I really going? Shouldn't I really change something? Shouldn't I really do something better? And it's not just, it's like, if you have... Uh, if you want to get somewhere, if you want to, you know, like a person once said to me, once said a very interesting comment. He said, it was a phrase, a saying. He said, if you don't know where you're going, any direction will do. Right? Because that doesn't make a difference. You just walk around anywhere, aimlessly. But once you have a direction, now you can, you have a destination, you can put it into ways. And it will tell you how to get there. And if you get off track, it'll say, oh, rerouting. You went the wrong way. Go back. Right? So that's because you have a destination. But if you don't have a destination, how can you measure how close you are, how far you are, what turns to make? Maybe if there's some problem up ahead, how to get around it, you know, you won't know because you don't know where you're going. So what the shofar does is it tells you what is the ultimate 
What is ultimately valuable? What is of ultimate significance? And then the teshuvah part is, wait a second. If I'm recognizing all of this, what does that translate to in terms of my own life? And by the way, it's not just a question of becoming a more religious, okay? What you improve about yourself also makes a difference. Because a person could say, oh, I only, I only uh, uh, read uh, uh, three Tehillim a day. Maybe I should read five Tehillim a day. Is that really what's going to bring you closer to Hashem? Is that really the area you need to work on? Or are you just trying to come up with something like, oh, well, you know, it's Elul and it's Rosh Hashanah, I got to add some mitzvah. So I'll add some, uh, some detail that I wasn't careful about before or I'll add some mechanical behavior that I can, uh, you know, in- increase my number of mitzvot that I do. Or a person could ask himself, wait a second, if really it's about, like a person might be, let's say, learning Torah, but they could ask himself, am I really learning the subjects of Torah, or am I really learning in a way that's deepening my relationship to Hashem? Mm-hmm. You could add tefillah. You could say, you know, I pray once a day. Maybe I should start praying twice a day. Or maybe a better idea would just be to focus on the prayer that you're doing already. Because most likely, if you're like every other human being, you're not getting the most out of the tefillah you already say. So instead of adding quantity, how about deepening the quality, increasing the quality of what you're doing. If you're really serious, meaning if you just see it as a kind of a transactional thing, like, oh, God is going to judge me, so I better throw him a bone by uh, adding some uh, mitzvot onto, the, uh, you know, onto my list so I can come in and say, well, I have 10 mitzvot. Last year I had five. Then it, it, it becomes a game. But if you're serious about it and you say the real tr- truth, the real truth that Hashem is the absolute and my connection to God is what really counts. So I can, I can do all the external behaviors I want, but if it's not really transforming me into somebody who has a more God-centered life, who's really drawing closer to Hashem, so then it's not really facilitating my journey. It's not really enabling me to, get, to actualize my potential. It's not. And a person can, for example, read a lot of books of Torah, but they don't understand one real deep idea. They don't have any insight into anything. So they just read, oh, I'll read more. But, but you, didn't, you could understand one idea and that one clarity that you get could bring you many steps closer to Hashem. And you could read a thousand pages and not take one step further. Because you just, did, you just went through the motions of reading information. Reading information, anybody can do that. But having an insight that really changes your perspective and deepens your connection to Hashem... That's where you should be investing your time in that. That's why I'm saying in the tefillah, investing your time in that. The Chida writes, he says that people make a mistake that they come to Slichot during the time of Elul, but then they sleep through Shacharit or whatever. They don't have so much concentration because who can do an hour of Slichot, an hour of Shacharit? It's a lot. He said, and the Chida says, he says a beautiful thing. He says, not only with regard to Slichot, he says, with regard to slichot, for sure, what you're doing is you're, you're reversing it because the whole point of slichot is to, is to make you, uh, is to improve you, right? It's, it's to improve your abodat Hashem. And what's happening? What's happening in your service of Hashem if the slichot is causing you not to pray properly and not to do other mitzvot because you're too tired or even worse, sometimes say, I already did slichot, so therefore I can do a bunch of other, I can now say Lashon Hara, and I can now do all kinds of other nonsense, because I, I did extra slichot. It becomes counterproductive. So he says, it's a general principle, the Chida says, in service of Hashem. Always emphasize the primary thing, and then when the primary thing is up to its full strength, you add the additional thing. But if the, never emphasize the additional at the expense of the primary. The ikar, the main thing, always has to be the first priority. The things that are secondary that can help, that's wonderful. But if they're going to detract from the primary, then they become neg- a negative instead of a positive. And that's an important principle in all of our service of Hashem. To look at the things we're already doing and think, is this bringing me closer to Hashem? Is this really making me a person who is fulfilling the task gave, God gave me in the world? What is the task Hashem gave the Jewish people in the world to sanctify His name in the world? 
to come to the highest awareness and understanding of Hashem that we can attain, and then to share that insight and to share that inspiration and to share that love of God and that love of truth and that love of chesed and that love of, uh, of justice, to share that with the world and to exhibit that to the world is what I'm working on and my Elul and Rosh Hashanah bringing me closer to that? Because if it doesn't sound like that, then it's probably not. If it's, some, if it's not something that is contributing in some way towards my achieving that purpose, which is to perfect the world under the kingship of God, my ultimate task, then I'm obviously not investing my time properly during this, this season. So I think this is what the shofar really is supposed to awaken us to. It awakens us to these fundamental values. And once you have these fundamental values and this framework, you can begin to ask, okay, if these are the fundamental values, and by the way, I think I've mentioned this in past in other classes, we say in the bracha of Rosh Hashanah, Melech al kol ha'aretz mekadesh Yisrael v'yom hazikon. Hashem is the king of the entire world who sanctified the Jewish people and, and, and yom hazikon, which is Rosh Hashanah. And then we say also on Yom Kippur, Melech al kol ha'aretz mekadesh Yisrael v'yom ha'kippurim. Why? We understand that in Rosh Hashanah we're talking about God created the world. So we say Melech al kol ha'aretz, God is the creator of the king of the world. Why on Yom Kippur do we mention God is king of the world? It's not relevant. Hashem is forgiving us, the Jewish people. So why are we mentioning that God is the king of the world on Yom Kippur? It's not really relevant that he's the king of the world. It's always relevant that he's the king of the world. We say it in every bacha, Melech HaOlam. But, why, but on other holidays, we just say, Mikadesh Yisrael Vazimanim, Hashem sanctified the Jewish people, and the holidays, that's it. We don't mention king of the world. Melech al-Kolart. On Rosh Hashanah, we understand it's creation of the world. Why on Yom Kippur? What's the answer? Because Melech al-Kolart has to do with what our purpose and mission is as the Jewish people. To declare Hashem as king over the entire world. What is Hashem judging us on on Rosh Hashanah? He's judging us in terms of how well we're accomplishing that task as the Jewish people, as individuals and as a collective. And what is he forgiving us for? He's renewing his contract with us on Yom Kippur. He's renewing his contract with us for another year of continuing this mission. But what is the mission? It's connected to Melech al-Kolar, that Hashem is the king of the entire world. And that our job is to sanctify his name in the world. And how much that asks of us and calls us to a higher purpose, to think of a higher purpose and how much we lose sight of that all the time. And we get caught in nitty gritty details, whether they are practical things, whether they are material things, even in religious things. Sometimes we lose our sense of where the emphasis should be. We forget what the actual purpose is. Why Hashem chose Avram Avinu? Why he chose the Avot? Why did he choose the Jewish people? He did it. And, and we think on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem is mainly judging us. We're thinking about Hashem judging us in terms of our parnasah, health, and all these things. They are important. But really, ultimately, what the judgment is, is a judgment of where, how are we doing? Like, I don't remember, if you remember uh, Mayor Koch, you know? Only you would remember. Only we would remember. You know? He used to walk around in the city and say, how am I doing? Right? He would ask random people on the street, how am I doing? Right? Mayor yeah, Mayor Koch. He used to say, how am I doing? At what? You know? That's, that's the question, right? And I don't know, what, I guess he was referring it, uh, to his, as a mayor, how is he doing? But, you know, that's really what the question is for us. How are we doing as the Jewish people and assessing and evaluating that? That's the most important thing. It's more important than any of the other things we consider because parnasan, bruyut, and health, and, 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 and material goods are all very, very necessary for life. But a meaningful life, when we say zuchrenu lechaim, Remember us for life, it means for a good life. It doesn't mean for surviving. It means for a life of meaning. And a life of meaning means a life that is serving a purpose higher than itself. Otherwise, it's no different than the life of a frog or the life actually could be worse. Um, human beings have this incredible uh, quality that they have intelligence and free choice, which means they can either do the most amazing things or the worst things. Animals just go on a program. An animal has instinct that follows the program. There's only so much bad an animal can do. There's only so much good an animal can do. An animal just does whatever it's programmed to do by its instinct. You know, a human being has intelligence, so they can actually like, destroy the world with nuclear weapons, right? which is the worst use of intelligence. They can do horrible things, injustices, cruelties, holocaust, God forbid, all these things. Or they can use their intelligence for the most amazing, incredible things. 
we're the most powerful beings for good and for bad. How are we using the power that we're given? Are we just using it in order to enrich our bodies and enrich our physical existence without any thought to any higher purpose? So then we're not doing well ourselves. We're not achieving our full potential. Did, yeah, I saw you had a question before, and I... Well, it's a, that's almost a sure in and of itself, probably. But, um, but it's, uh, the, the general answer is that everything that we do, if we do it with intention and purpose and attention to what we're doing, so when you, even though it seems like the insights that you have and the ideas that come into your mind are passively just occurring to you, to a certain extent that's true, but if you weren't attending to what you were doing, you wouldn't have had that either. So there's a saying, chance favors the, the prepared mind. If your mind is in the proper state to notice things that maybe it wouldn't otherwise notice um, or to receive insight that it wouldn't otherwise receive. So it's true, not every single day are we gonna be like, oh my God, I had a mind-blowing insight in my tefillah and I had a mind-blowing insight in the Torah. It's not gonna happen like that. But the fact that when you're involved and engaged, you focus in on what you're doing and you pay attention to it. So now you are increasing the likelihood that you'll have those meaningful moments. But that goes together with also trying to understand better. And I'm sure we all could. What is the purpose of tefillah? Why do we pray? What is the goal of tefillah? How are we supposed to pray? What are we supposed to get out of it? Because I think if a person focuses on that and, and, and clarifies that, what they're supposed to be uh, gaining from the experience, so then again, anytime you have, I think it's true with anything that you do. Anytime you have, if you, anybody who's very old will remember the movie uh, Karate Kid, another excellent uh, movie nice. where, yeah, sorry. Well, we're, uh, we're, we're, yeah, so I'm including myself. So, you know, the, Mr. Miyagi, who's the teacher, you know, he, he takes this young guy and he basically um, has him do what seemed to be like totally meaningless, repetitive tasks. Like, waxing his car in an exact way. It has to be like this, and then like this. Wax on, and then wax off, like this, right? And then he has to paint the fence exactly up and down. And it turns out he does this for like days on end, and then at the end he's like, this is ridiculous. You're making me just paint your fence and wax your car. What is this? You're supposed to be teaching me martial arts, and you're just using me as a slave. And so Mr. Miyagi's like, show me wax on, and it really turns out that he's taught him like this amazing block. You know, he taught him something. He didn't know why he was doing it all along. But because he did it with the perfect form again and again and again, he like practiced it a million times. He was, he was really good at it, right? And that was part of the trick. Now, in real life, things don't usually work that, like that. Because in real life, if you don't know why you're doing something and you don't know the purpose, so then you won't necessarily do it exactly the right way to achieve the purpose, because you, you, you don't know what you're exactly trying to get, where you're exactly trying to go. When you know, it's like a person who writes a paper for class. If they don't have any idea what they're writing about or what their point is, and they just want to write a lot of stuff down and just hand it in, then they'll go on and on and on and on and on. It goes all over the place and it, it doesn't have any beginning, middle or end. If the person knows exactly what their point is, it's very structured. It has an introduction and it has a section like this and this and then a conclusion and, and it's very organized and it's very clear, right? Because you know exactly where you're going. So you're able to measure all the different parts and put them in correctly, right? That's true with anyone who understands what they're doing. So when you know the purpose of what you're doing, so you'll do it differently, right? You'll do it in a more organized way. You'll do it in a more deliberate way. You're doing it in a more systematic way because you know what you're doing, why you're doing it. So the more we try to reflect and well, why am I saying bachot on my foods? What am I supposed to gain out of it? Oh, I'm not just saying a magical incantation. I'm not just 
uh, mumbling words so God will be happy with me. I'm supposed to be reflecting on something. What am I supposed to be reflecting on? Oh, well, then I actually have to pay attention to the words that are coming out of my mouth and try to think about something that I'm doing. And I'll say the bracha differently. I'll pause for a second. I'll reflect on it. You know? So it's like uh, an example of that that's just a very random example is breaking a glass at a wedding. Right? So breaking a glass at a wedding was supposed to be sad. Right? Because it was supposed to be remembering the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. But everyone thinks that when a glass breaks, you scream Mazal Tov. So now even if you go to a restaurant and somebody breaks a glass, you are like, Mazal Tov! Right? Because they think it's a happy thing to break the glass, but it's actually the opposite. That's, supposed to be, that's just an example of something that totally got disconnected from its original meaning. So people don't respond to it the way that they were supposed to. So that's true with so many things. If we just take the activities we're already doing, the Rambam actually was a big proponent of this. He said, if you just take the activities you're already doing and do them better, you grow more. Think, why am I doing it? What is my purpose? Why did I come to Kenisa? I came to, to reflect on Hashem. I, I came to reflect on certain ideas on who I am and where I'm going in life. And I, I want to take this time to do that. When the Torah is being read, he writes to his own students. He says in the Moran of Uchim, which was written for his student, he says, to develop in perfection as a human being, the first thing is just pay attention to the tefillah that you're saying. That's what he says to his highest level student. His highest level student, he wrote to him. He said, first, just pay attention to the Amidah. Every word, not just the first bracha. And to the bachot that you say. And the Shema that you say. And when the Torah is being read, listen to it. He said, do that for years. And then you'll start actually gaining from it. That's what he said. He's saying basic, the things that you're already doing, do them better. Do them with a purpose in mind. Say, I want to get an insight from listening to, to, to the Torah. I want to, get an, I want to gain clarity from my tefillah. And, and I have a purpose in doing it. I'm not just going through the motions. And then you'll see your mind opens to it and sees it in a different way. Yes. Well, it depends what kind of thing it is. If it's a good activity, but you just might not have had the right intention, so then the best, it would be better to say, I'll continue doing the good activity, but I'll have to think about you know, my, my motivations differently and maybe change my attitude towards it. If you're doing it and you feel like it's actually not really a good thing because it was, it, it's serving a bad purpose, so then it would probably be better not to do it. It depends on the activity. You know, it's hard to know. But I think that the main point being asking ourselves, what is my ultimate purpose? When I think about, when I think about what the ultimate realities are and what's really of eternal value and infinite value and where I stand in terms of that and how much of my time is actually connected to activities and engagements and involvements that are of ultimate value and how much is not. Okay? And even in the activities that are religious activities, how much of them is just going through motions and how much of it is really leading me to a closeness to God and therefore to fulfilling my purpose, sanctifying Hashem's name in the world as a Jewish uh, member of the Jewish people. How much of it is really doing that? That's really what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is supposed to be asking us to do. We end up getting caught up in the question of, am I going to get a good Parnassah this year? Am I going to have good health this year? Am I going to, what, what's going to happen to me this year? And all those things are also important. I'm not trying to downplay that in the least. Obviously, all those things are also important. But... What Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is primarily trying to do is ask you in terms of what your real life is. And your real life is not, just, is not your physical life. Your real life is your, the meaning of your life. The aspects of your life that are eternal and that are truly um, of infinite value. That's, where, that's the real life that you have to invest your time and effort in. Yes? Well, that's, it's the first step. Then you have to ask, okay, I have this, yeah. Hmm? 
It's about connection, absolutely. So when you have, but when once you have that sense of awareness of Hashem, let's say awareness of Hashem, so then the question is, what does that call upon me to do in my life? How am I going to live my life now to 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 feed that 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 relationship instead of to take myself away from it? That's that's really what the what the whole question wants to be. No, no, of course we do that. I mean, that's also part of it, but it's all, all of these things are how you relate to them. Meaning, if, you, if you're thinking of it as, I'm coming to, to pray to God or blow the shofar or do whatever so I get material things, so then you're looking at, you're looking at it backwards, really. You're looking at the material goods as the goal and the eternal aspect as the means. Instead of reversing it, really, and saying, I'm asking for parnasa and briyut and all these things because I'm devoted to a purpose greater than myself. It's like, think of the difference between having, a, let's say, a, 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 um, an, an investment opportunity versus a charity opportunity. A charity opportunity, somebody gets up and says, give me money, right? But they're not saying, give me money for myself. They're saying, give it to me for the sake of this cause that's greater than any of us, right? And so when you relate to the material things as a means to something greater than yourself, so then you're really accomplishing, that's really the purpose of it. You're asking for Pranasan for health, but you're asking for it for a purpose that's greater. Well, when you're just listening to the shofar, you're supposed to just be focusing on Hashem and, there's, and, and those ultimate realities. But during the tefillah, you do think about those material things. It's just that how you change your perspective on them is really what's key, to look at them, just focusing, right. Yeah. That's when you're supposed to be reflecting on the meaning of the shofar, which is Hashem is our king and Hashem is the one that, you know, that, directs all of, all of, you know, knows us and directs us and, and has the plan for, for the world and, and how to, you know, and, and measuring ourselves up to, uh, you know, to that awareness, seeing how we stand, you know, where we stand in light of that, basically. You're not really supposed to pray for anything during the shofar itself, but that's what Ami does for Um, it could be, I think both are true, meaning there are things that are, uh, that are emphasized more in Judaism, let's say that are considered to be core, uh, more fundamental, let's say, learning Torah, tefillah, um, things that are considered to be more fundamental objectively. And then in an individual's personal growth and journey, they could realize that there are things that they need to work on or they need to invest effort in that are unique to them. Meaning in your personal journey, where are you right now? You might be at a point in your journey where you need to uh, em, you know, invest more time or effort in certain things that other people might not as much and vice versa. Yes. So I, I, one of the dangers, I think, is, yeah, she's asking how do you, you, there's so many different areas a person could be focusing on. How do they know what really is, 
worth prioritizing, essentially. And I think it's hard to give like a cookie cutter answer to that. But what's for sure is that it's a mistake to try to do too many things at once. And if you try to uh, accomplish too many things at a time, you basically have to understand that it's a taking a step in the right direction and progressing forward is the main, uh, is the main objective. Uh, you're not going to be able to perfect yourself in every area in one year. And what, it can be counterproductive to spread yourself too thin and try to improve in multiple areas at the same time. So what is essential is really going to depend on the person, probably individually, what they need to work on and what they need to focus on and what they see as, let's say, either the major impediment to their service of Hashem right now or an area they really could improve in in the service of Hashem. It's going to depend. But um, trying to do more areas, it's so much better to try to choose one or two things that really you can make a meaningful, lasting uh, change than to try to do 10 different things and, and then none of them end up uh, holding because you spread yourself too thin, except upon yourself too many different, uh, too many different commitments. Yes? Well, the idea is it's a Yom Tov, so it's supposed to be a happy day, and you're eating and drinking and you're supposed to be celebrating. But the reason why we don't say, like, for example, Hallel, we don't have a Hallel on, on Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah is because it's called Yamim Noraim. Yamim Noraim means it's days of awe, days where we have a certain reverence for the day. So even though it's a day you're celebrating, the celebration of the day of Rosh Hashanah is the celebration that God is our king. That's the theme of the day, this theme that we have this relationship with God, that he is our king, and that we know that all that he does is, is, is what is best and, what, and, and, and is according, in accordance with his will and his wisdom. He's directing the world, and that's what we're celebrating. And the idea that if we follow the path of Hashem, we know that things will be for the best. That's the celebration of Rosh Hashanah. It's not as somber as Yom Kippur. And you're not actually supposed to be sad on Rosh Hashanah or like vidui. You're not supposed to be confessing or like focusing on the negatives on, on, on Rosh Hashanah. You're only supposed to be focusing on the positive side of the picture that is Hashem is, the, you know, is our creator. He's our king. We have a relationship with him. We have the opportunity to grow in our, uh, you know, in, in our service of Hashem and our connection to him. That's what we're supposed to be celebrating on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and so it is a celebration, but it has a reverence aspect to it because it's also recognizing the greatness of God and our own uh, limitations. I mean, obviously the shofar represents the idea that we're crying out to God to a certain extent. The cry of the shofar is that we aren't, we recognize that we're not up to where we should be, but the focus is supposed to still be on the positive yearning to be there and not on the, uh, not on the sad part. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much everyone. Um.